Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Have you ever been forced to eat something that you would not normally eat? Now, I'm not talking about those moments when the pantry is low on its usual, usual stock. You know, when you have to go to the pantry and all you can find are like Ritz crackers and a half jar of peanut butter, and you're like, I can make a meal out of this, and, 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 and you do it, you know? Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when, when you go to the freezer and, you know, maybe mom or your wife or even you, you haven't been to the grocery store in a while and you look in the freezer and there's a lot of near empty boxes. And so your dinner ends up looking like, like two cheese sticks, five pizza rolls and, you know, soup straight out of the, the can, you know, that's, that's what dinner is for you. That's not what I'm talking about because all of that, in my opinion, is edible. Okay. I'm talking about when you're forced to eat something that is not usually considered edible. I remember one time in Ecuador, um, and, and it's not just Ecuador. I've, I've seen this all over South America, Ecuador, Peru. I've seen it in Central America and Guatemala. Um, and, and I remember the first time I went to Ecuador, I'm riding down the road uh, with the missionary, and I look outside the window, and I keep seeing these little vendors set up along the side of the road. And when I say vendors, I don't mean like they have a license to sell food or anything. I'm talking about these little huts on the side of the road. And, and I would look, and there would be like a, a full pig, like slapped up on the side of this little hut, and they would walk around, and it's cooked to order, so they would walk around, and they would cut strips off the back of this pig and throw it on a grill or something to make pork rind for you. Uh, and so I would, I would see that. And th- there, was, there was this other thing, and I kept m- smelling this. And we would go by these certain vendors on the side of the road, and I w- there was this distinct smell. And it wasn't a good smell, but I could tell something was cooking. And, um, and I kept noticing th- these rodents on a stick, and it was guinea pigs. Guinea pig on a stick. Has anyone ever seen that before? You've seen guinea pig on a stick? No? No, just me? Yeah. Um, I tell you, they have this very distinct smell. And, and, but when I'm in another country, I often go through this mental challenge in my head to where I want to try, at least taste something that is, is native, you know, and that kind of thing. I, I remember in the Amazon one time, I ate uh, Am- Amazonian gator and, uh, and wild boar in the Amazon. And so I'm, there's moments where I'm a little adventurous with that kind of stuff. And so I'm looking at these guinea pigs on a stick in Ecuador, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to just try it. I know I won't eat the whole thing, but it's worth it. I can say that I ate guinea pig on a stick, you know, and so I, I want to try it. And so the missionary standing beside me, his name was Michael, and, and we're standing there, and I said, hey, man, I think I'm going to try one. Is this safe for me to eat? And he said, yeah, it, it's not going to hurt you, but... Um, are you sure you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, man, I, 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 have you ever had one? He said, yeah, they're not bad, but, but he said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, man, I want to do this. And he said, well, let me tell you one thing about, about guinea pigs. He says, they're very oily. And he said, so when you eat this guinea pig, he said, for the next two to three days, the oil from this guinea pig is going to seep through your pores and you're going to smell that smell that you're smelling right now. I'm good, Michael. Let's go. Let's back to the compound, man. You know, I was not desperate enough or hungry enough to resort to eating guinea pig. And today, I want to look at a time in Israel's history where they were experiencing physical hunger, physical hunger. And, and I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. 
And as you're turning there, let me explain to you that, that this was a time when Israel and Syria were, were at war. I just mentioned this yesterday at, at our Man Up Bible study. There was a time, and the Bible speaks of this, there was a time when kings would go to war. And what would happen is that these nations would war against each other to see who would control the territory for that season. And so there was like appointed times when, when different kings would go against each other with their armies at war just to try and gain some territory. Well, this is one of those times, and, and Israel and Syria are at war, and the prophet Elisha knew the Syrian king's every move. God would reveal to Elisha everything in advance before the Syrian king could sneak attack them in any way. And, and so this frustrated the, the king of Syria because he can't get a leg up on them. And so the king of Syria sends an army after the prophet Elisha to, to, to seize him and they, to bring him back. And, and so they get there and long story short, Elijah prays and, and God strikes the entire Syrian army that came to get him blind. So they all go blind. So this is a serious war, man. I mean, there, there's some spiritual warfare that's happening that is actually causing physical harm. And, and so, you know, you pray, they become blind. And, and so this, this is a serious matter. Second Kings chapter six, I want to start reading at verse 24, second Kings six and verse 24. And by the way, this is brand new. I have never preached this passage of scripture in my life, except for first service today. So if this lands, we'll all land safely. If it bombs, we'll all die together. Okay, here we go. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor, or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him but she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Just keep your Bibles. In a few moments, I want to read just a, a couple of verses out of chapter 7, but we'll get there in, in just a little while. But I want you to fully understand what is happening here in, in, in Samaria. Now, what you have to understand is that the nation of Israel is divided at this time. You have the southern kingdom of Judah, and their uh, capital is the city of Jerusalem. You have the northern kingdom uh, of, of Israel, and their capital is the city of Samaria. And Samaria 
is surrounded on all sides. When the Syrian king sent his men in, he surrounded the entire city on all sides. And what this did is it separated the, the people of Samaria, the Israelites, it separated them from their harvest fields. They were experiencing a man-enforced famine. A man-enforced famine. Now, in fear of reducing this this morning to nothing more than symbolism, I want to remind you that this book, this book that we read, it is a true history book of the Jewish people. This is, this is not a bunch of fairy tales. We just read uh, actuality, stuff that, that really happened in real life. This was a real famine. And I know we go through spiritual famines in our life, and we'll get there. But I need you to understand these people were experiencing a real famine. And, and they were no strangers to famines. Israel had experienced famines in the past. There were times when, when there was a lack of rain. There was a drought. And because of that drought, there was no food. And so it brought about a famine. There were times when swarms of locusts caused them to go without food. They experienced famine due to caterpillars devouring their crops one time. Uh, there were even times when the Bible says that wind, hail, and even mildew caused famine-like conditions in that land. And during these times, people were going hungry. People were starving. I doubt that there's anybody in this room that has ever experienced true hunger pains the way that they were experiencing hunger pains. But this famine was different. You see, their crops were plentiful. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't that they were not getting any rain. It's not that the locusts or the caterpillars or the wind or the hail or, or mildew, it's not that any of that was destroying their crops. These people could walk up onto the wall of their city and they could look out from there and they could see the plentiful and the bountiful crops all around them. The crops that they had tilled and they had planted the seed and, and, and they had watched as the rains had come and, and the crops had, had sprang forth. They could see the harvest field, but they can't get to the harvest field because there's an army of men between them and their promise, between them and their harvest. There's food in the pantry, but the king of Syria is standing between them. The army of Syria is between them and their food. You know, my son, my son likes to try me every now and then. He's 20 years old, soon be 21. And he likes to try me every now and then. It's all fun and games. We don't, we don't really fight. But every now and then, Caleb likes to bow up to me just to, just to test his strength a little bit. And, and if he was honest with you, and, and his wife, or not his wife, his sister, his sister, wait, y'all aren't married yet, are you? No, okay, just making sure. His sister, his mom, and even his girlfriend will tell you that, that he can't take me yet. He's going to tell you probably otherwise, but he can't. So if Caleb was standing b between me and the pantry, which he has before, and, and I want to get to my food, there is not anything that boy is going to be able to do to keep me from getting to my food. And we have been known to uh, play cat and mouse around the island in the kitchen, running, you know, me chasing him around the kitchen, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but I don't, who, whoever you are, you're going to have a hard time keeping me from my food. If there's food in that pantry and I want to get to my food, I, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to get there. The problem with this situation is they're not just battling one king. They're not just battling a couple of men. Their entire city is surrounded by an army. The Sumerians have surrounded the city, the Syrians have surrounded the city of Samaria, blocking them from their harvest fields. And these people were so hungry that they resorted to eating donkey heads and dove waste. Donkey heads 
and dove waste is, is what their diet consists of. There's nothing else for them to eat. They've gone to the cupboard, it's dry. They've, 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 they've looked in the fridge, there's nothing else there. They have resorted to eating donkey heads and dove waste. Somebody asked me in between services, they said, can I guess that they had already ate the rest of the donkey and that's why they're eating donkey heads? I guess. All I know is the Bible says they were eating donkey heads and dove waste. And I've read about some strange delicacies from around the world. And even recently, I got to experience one of those. Because while we were in Israel at the Sea of Galilee, Mandy and I got to eat St. Peter's fish. This is an actual picture of St. Peter's fish on my plate. That's what it looks like. And they cook it. It's, it's like a tilapia or something. And it's, it's head, tail, all of it right there. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I, I wanted to, you know, feel the culture a little bit. So I picked at it, did my best. I'm married to a country girl. That girl ripped the head off that tilapia. She went to work. There was just bones left of that thing. And that's what was scaring me because it actually didn't taste bad. But the bones, the little bones, I was afraid of getting one stuck in my throat, you know. And, and, and so um, we ate St. Peter's fish. Mandy ate a lot of it. I picked it, St. Peter's fish. But we had that in, while we were in Israel. In, in Cambodia, they eat fried tarantulas. Fried tarantulas. Now listen, they fry the whole thing. Legs, fangs, body, all of it. They fry it. And in one review that I read online, a review for fried tarantulas, listen, here's what it said. They are crispy on the outside with a gooey body on the inside. Wait, 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 wait. With a flavor resembling crickets or chicken. I feel like those are very two distinct different crickets or chicken like yeah in the Philippines they eat fertilized eggs you understand the eggs that you eat are not fertilized right or most of you in the Filipino culture this delicacy is as popular as hot dogs in America like you would walk the streets of New York City and you would see a hot dog vendor there with his little hot dog cart when you go through the Philippines you will see street vendors selling fertilized eggs in Korea they will eat live octopus and here's how they do it they take a live octopus they, they cut it into these little pieces that are lightly seasoned with sesame oil and, and, and then they serve them immediately while the tentacles are still squirming on the plate. And the review said this, once the octopus is in your mouth, it will suction to your teeth, <laughs> the roof of your mouth or your tongue. Yes, sign me up. That's what I was hoping for. People around the world eat some strange things, don't they? But I'm still convinced you've got to be pretty hungry to eat donkey heads and dove waste. I've never experienced that kind of hunger in my life to where I've thought, man, I just crave me some donkey head. <laughs> Boy, I wish a dove would land right there and just leave a deposit because I sure could use some dove dung right about now, man. I've never been that hungry. Never. 
These people are hungry, and when you are that hungry, you start making poor decisions. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You're riding down the road with your family, and somebody in the car is extremely hungry. Maybe the whole family's hungry, but one of your kids in the back seat has, has the nerve to yell at you in the front seat because they are hungry. You see what I mean? You make poor decisions because if my kids yell at me from the back seat, I, they're mm -mm. poor decisions. And in life, when you are hungry, when you're starving, you'll make bad decisions. And some of them started eating their children. You see how desperate this is? This point in history in Israel is one of the most desperate moments. When you get to the place to where you're willing to kill your children and eat your children, and we read of this instance where this, this woman makes a deal. And one woman offers her son first, and the second woman hides her son on the next day. You know, besides the fact that you're eating your child, you know, you, you should probably be giving your life for your child to eat. But you don't make right decisions when you're hungry. You make poor decisions when you're hungry. And so, besides the fact that you're eating the child that you love, you're not even considering the long-term effects because think about what Israel was doing. They were bankrupting their future to survive today. They were killing off all their children in order to survive today. We will eat them, we will devour them today just so that we can survive this day killing our future. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, I could never get so hungry that I would eat my own children. But how many people do you know that will sacrifice their children just to succeed on their job? I see this every day. To survive the cravings of the world that demands our time and energy, we sacrifice our children on the altar of success. Not even realizing that we're bankrupting our future. Sometimes we sacrifice our children on the altar of inconvenience. It's just not convenient for us to go to church today. It's not convenient for us to do the right thing. It's not convenient for us to live by this moral standard. And so we sacrifice our children on the altar of convenience. And other times we sacrifice our children on the altar of sports and recreation. And listen to me, I have no problem with sports and recreation. We, we were a family, we grew up around soccer and basketball and, and, and trust me, I know that, but there were limitations to that because parents, listen to me, stop sacrificing your children on the altar of sports and recreation because you're bankrupting your future just to survive and keep up with everybody else in today's world. And it's not what God has called us to do. I know that everybody around you seems like they're succeeding in different ways and, and, and you want to be a part of that. You want to have those friends and you want to be a part of that world and, and, and you want to have some kind of success in life to where you feel like you fit in. But you've got to learn to have faith while you're in the famine. That even when it doesn't feel plentiful, even when it doesn't feel like, like, like God is coming through for you in that moment, when you are absolutely starving to succeed, be careful because it's in those moments that you will make poor decisions. 
And you'll bankrupt your future. You'll sacrifice your children and your family in the process. And you'll sacrifice your relationship with Christ if you're not careful. There are times in life when I'm convinced we just need a prophetic word from heaven. That you don't get it until you get a prophetic word from heaven. And here's what I've prayed for this service today. This standalone sermon that doesn't fit in a series, but it's just, it's just God speaking to our hearts today. Here's what I pray. God, give us a prophetic word from heaven today because some of us, we need some drastic changes in our lives. Because the one thing that Israel had going for them at this moment was the word of the Lord. You see, for some of you, I said that, and it doesn't even register with you how important that is. Because when you have a word from the Lord, it has the potential to change the entire direction of your life. It has the potential to change the trajectory of your life. It has the, 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 the potential to change where your life will end up if you can just get one word from the Lord for your situation in that moment. And throughout Israel's history, they always had a word from the Lord except for this 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we just don't have any recording, uh, any records of, of God speaking to his people during that time. But, but, but during this time, God was speaking. God was speaking loud because he would send prophets into their lives. And, and these prophets would say, here's what God is saying. If you will do this, then God will come through and do this for you. And, and if you will trust God in this area of your life, God is going to come through during these moments for you and the one thing that they had going for them is that they had a prophet by the name of Elisha that God was using to speak into their lives Hebrews 4 and 12 says for the word of the Lord is active it's living and active it's sharper than any two-edged sword Proverbs 30 and 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. And, and in 2 Kings, the very next chapter, just the very next verse from where our text stopped, in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1, the prophet Elijah says these words. He says, About this time tomorrow. You see, that's what you need to declare over your life right now. I don't care what it is you're going through. It may be, uh, it may be problems in your relationship. It might be problems in relationships. It might be financial problems. It might be sickness. It, 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 it might be what, whatever the attack is in your life right now. Sometimes you just need to declare about this time tomorrow. Because about this time tomorrow, all it takes is one touch from God, one, one spoken word from heaven, and everything in your life can change in that one moment. Matter of fact, I, th I think you need to declare it right now over your life. Would you say that? Just say about this time tomorrow. Just say it back to me. Say it. About this time tomorrow. I believe some of you, your lives are about to be changed about this time tomorrow. I want you to look at the person next to you. Just look at them and say about this time tomorrow. Don't leave the, the person on the other side is feeling also left out right now. Just look at them right now and just say about this time tomorrow. And Elisha says, about this time tomorrow, there will be food. And I love the way that he does this. I love it. I think we need to do this for our own lives. 
He says, about this time tomorrow, there's going to be food. And by the way, I'm going to name where and I'm going to name the price. Listen to what he says. But Elisha said, verse 1, chapter 7. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. He says, not only am I telling you we'll have food tomorrow, but I'm naming the price. Here's what I think we need to do. I think whenever you're low on gas in that car and, 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 and you're struggling because you don't know how you're going to put uh, uh, gas in that car. You don't know how you're going to put fuel in that car. You need to start declaring it over your life right then. You need to say, listen, I'm going to go down to the Circle K and I'm going to pay $1.90 a gallon for gas. That's what I'm going to do. That's what Elisha was doing. He said, about this time tomorrow, I'm naming the price. I'm naming the location. It's going to be at the gate of Samaria. We're going to have food about this time tomorrow. And people looked at him like he had lost his, his mind. We are surrounded by the Syrians. We cannot get to our crops. We can see them, but there's no possible way. And we are starving to death to the point to where we're devouring our future. We're eating our children. And you're telling us, Elisha, that we are going to, 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 to eat this time tomorrow, that we're going to have food tomorrow? He says, yes. About this time tomorrow, there's going to be food. Give it 24 hours. And this situation is going to look completely different. And this is where the story takes a strange twist with the most unlikely of heroes. And God always does that, doesn't he? He always uses the most unlikely of heroes. There's these four lepers that are sitting outside the city gate because they've been quarantined outside of the city. They had leprosy, which is a skin disease. And and people were afraid that, that it was highly contagious. And so if you came in contact with a leper, if you had any type of contact, then you would catch this leprosy. And so uh, they had quarantined these four men outside of the city, and they called these, these areas leper colonies. Now, what's strange about these leper colonies is that you still had people inside the city that loved these people. Even though they couldn't be near them, they, they still loved them. These were family members. One commentary even thinks that this is Elisha's servant, Gehazi, and, and his three sons. We have no proof of that, but in Jewish literature, they, they suggest that maybe this is his servant and, and his three sons that have leprosy outside of the city. And when you had a loved one outside of the city, you would come to that city wall and you would throw down food. You would lower food down to your loved ones. These four lepers sitting in their leper, leper colony outside the city, quarantined from everybody else, no human touch except with each other. They, they cannot have contact with, with, with humans. Sitting outside the city, they start noticing nobody's bringing us food anymore. No one's throwing food out to us. It must be bad inside that city. The famine has taken over and no one is feeding us any longer. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what they say. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to, to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come. Let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, they're saying, what do we have to lose? If we stay right here in our little leper colony outside the gates of the city, we're going to starve to death anyway because nobody's feeding us anymore. If we go inside the city 
They're in there eating donkey brains and dove crap. We don't need that. We're going to die there. We are going to die. Why don't we go over to the enemy's camp? And if they have mercy on us and feed us, we'll get to live. But if they don't and they kill us, they put us out of our misery. We're dying anyway, right? What do we have to lose? Now, let me tell you something about people. You make poor decisions when you're hungry and starving. But when you get to your ropes in and you absolutely have nowhere to go except to step out on faith, that's when you make some of the best decisions of your life. When you have no other choice but to step out on faith, because those are the moments that it pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And these four lepers say, we're going over. Let's go, let's go talk with the Syrians. Let's, let's go see if they'll have mercy on us. Now, this is one of the craziest stories to me because when they get to the enemy's camp, no one's there. And it's a strange sight. It's not like they just left a few tents behind and a, a few cooking utensils, you know, and, and, and there's a smoldering fire. No, it's not that at all. It looks like people should be living there. They just dropped what they were doing and they ran. So these four lepers, they sneak into the first tent and they get some food and they get some gold and they get some silver and they're like, well, this is easy. So they go to the next tent and they get, they get some more goods. They are plundering the enemy's camp and they haven't even lifted a sword. The Bible tells us that in the middle of the night, God created a noise and the Syrians heard it, and they thought, because it's a time when kings go to war, they thought that a couple of other nations are coming along, teaming up together, and they're going to conquer the Syrians, which they already conquered Israel. And so they run in fear. Now, later on, after, after the Israelites find out about this, they send some men chasing after them to see how far they've gone. And here's what they reported back. They said, they kept running and they kept running. said, so we can't find anybody. All we can see is that there's some clothing articles here and there's some goods here. It's like they were running in a panic and they just dropped things along the way. But we have followed them for days and we can't find them. And so these four lepers who were dying and depending on people who were dying also... Well, that's a word for somebody. I didn't even plan on that, but just receive, stop depending on people that are dying. Let the dead bear the dead, Jesus said. Stop depending on people that are dying. God's got something better for you. There's life for you. They were depending on people who were dying. They decide, we're going to step out in faith. We're going to do something. God fights the battle for them, and they're sitting in the Syrian camp, and they are enjoying Life and they're living it abundantly Where one of them looks at the others and says guys, I feel a little guilty right now We're living it up Man, we're getting our bellies full. There's riches all around. There's livestock Maybe we should go and tell someone in Samaria. Maybe we need to walk up to the city gates over there and report this to someone These men Saved the city of Samaria from starvation. All because they were willing to step outside their quarantine area, their leper colony, and go into the enemy's camp. Someone here needs to realize that the enemy that you thought that was in control of your life has tucked tail and ran. 
I want to speak to you prophetically today. The, the enemy of your, of your life has had you scared to death because of his attacks against you. He's been standing between you and your harvest. Those are your fields. Those are the seeds that you planted. But what you don't understand is that God has already fought this battle for you and the enemy is, has been scattered. And your harvest is waiting for you. All it takes is that step of faith. All it takes is you having the guts to say, what do I have to lose but to trust God right now? Your harvest is yours for the taking. Don't sit here wallowing, wallowing in your pain and miss the blessings of what God has waiting on you. I want to be very clear because some of you will be confused by this because this is not like a social media post that says if you sit comfortably on your couch or in your chair and you share this with 10 people, then God is going to bless your life. It's not that easy. Sometimes you've got to get off your donkey head and go get your harvest. You've got to stop relying on people that have nothing to offer you and go grab hold of something that is spiritually edible that will sustain your spiritual life. Don't wait. Don't wait. You're intimidated by an enemy that doesn't even exist anymore. He has been scattered. He has been defeated. He's no longer standing between you and your harvest. You've got to go get it. You've got to take that step of faith and you've got to go get it. The greatest decisions in my life have been when I've been at my rope's end. And I decided to take a step of faith. And God blessed it tremendously. Starting with my soul. I was at my rope's end. Whenever I took that step of faith and said, Lord, save me. And the miracle happened and he saved my life. And since then, time after time, when I have just been at the end, no hope. And I take that step of faith. God always scatters the enemy and leads me into my harvest. If you'll do that for me, I know he'll do it for you. I know that. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.